we have a <coughs> wonderful opportunity. It's taken a lot of effort for all of you to get here. Probably were all sorts of obstacles. I could have easily uh, blocked, blocked you or <coughs> talked you out of it. But we made it. And uh, to a place uh, which is dedicated to guarding, protecting, giving us an occasion to recollect get in perspective reflect on this mysterious experience of uh, being seeming to be embodied person. Sometimes when we uh, don't really take the opportunity to to look more closely, we're, we're on automatic. And in a world which is uh, so often frenetic, polarized, dangerous, conflicted, it can uh, easily happen that our automatic responses aren't necessarily skillful. But to be in a place that's relatively, relatively safe, a sanctuary that has been dedicated to uh, Certainly for the 20 years, it's our 20th birthday, 20 years since Dennis and I were magically, it was magical how we were brought to this mountain. Certainly for these 20 years, this place has been uh, uh, a sanctuary, a place where we uh, try to cherish life and to value uh, the contemplative process to trusting that there is a possibility of uh, waking out of our confusion, seeing through our small-heartedness, small-mindedness, that there's a possibility of awakening. So certainly these 20 years, but there's the sense I, this, this uh, mountain I suspect has been an ancient place of uh, practice, contemplation. So something has brought us to this sacred mountain and we have time. Uh, many of us are going to have the chance to have a month for, uh, for retreat. Uh, some of us less. But whatever time we have, let's use this time well. It's very uh, auspicious, and I'm sure we all sensed it, to be 
with a group that is that is so uh, what I call filled with paramita or resonating with uh, virtuous qualities. Generosity, concern, truthfulness, aspiration for what is worthy, uh, just as some of the qualities I sensed in, in the gathering. So, you know, we have the chance to, to be with others that can encourage us in a place. contemplate the Dharma. The Dharma, this word, uh, wonderful word, that on one level means the cosmos, the totality, <coughs> all of the universe. And when the sky is clear, we have the most extraordinary perspective on the Milky Way, the billions. stars just in our galaxy, in the billion galaxies. Cosmos, the, 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 the universe, a form in this planet, and trees and animals and subatomic particles and molecules, cells, subatomic particles, all that mysterious form, and yet there's, there's also consciousness, spirit in it mysterious interrelationship between the two, that lawful reality, that mysterious reality could be called cosmos. The word dharma includes the whole and the lawfulness, the the fact that it doesn't it's not just chaotic, there seems to be patterns of cause and effect. According to the great saints and sages, according to the Buddha, when we don't understand the way things are or the Dharma, we generate stress, we generate suffering, we generate conflict, we generate what's called birth and death. We have what we think is me and mine, and then because it's not what we thought it was, it, it evaporates, it dissolves, and we get dislocated. We feel lost, and we try to find our home again. in that which pleases us, in that which feels safe and comfortable. It's natural, but not really understanding the Dharma, there's a, a, there can be an endless futility, which, which is called samsara. We don't seem to arrive. And sometimes, and we can see this in our lives, but certainly we can see it around us, the way in which we strive for happiness can leave a trail of destruction. When the great awakened one, when uh, Buddha, Sakyamuni Buddha, uh, woke up, realized the true nature, was at one with the true nature, and he 
out of compassion, laid out teachings that can help all of us return to harmony. So this this retreat is called uh, Being Dharma, and uh, that's a phrase that uh, our dear teacher Ajahn Chah used, Being Dharma. So... um, And this place wouldn't be here without Ajahn Chah, the impact he had on our lives and our 10-15 years of monastic life where we uh, were blessed by his example and his uh, teachings. So it uh, feels useful just to reflect on, on how Ajahn Chah used that phrase. He said, first one learns Dharma. Dharma is not only the totality, but it's also the, with a capital D, the way the teachings, when reflected upon teachings from the Buddha, they guide us back home to our true nature. So it means the true nature of things, it also means the teachings. Ajahn Chah, first one learns Dharma, but does not yet understand it. Then one understands, but has not yet practiced. One practices, but has not seen the truth of the Dharma. Then one sees the Dharma. But one's being has not yet become Dharma. The Sotapanna, the stream enterer, enters the Dharma, sees the Dharma, but his or her being is not yet Dharma. Sometimes there will be anger or desire. They will know them, yet still follow after them, because although this one knows and sees the Dharma, his being is not yet Dharma. The mind has not become Dharma. So, we may study the Dharma, understand the Dharma, practice the Dharma, see the Dharma, but to actually be the Dharma is something quite difficult. It is a place for each individual to reach, a point where there is no falsehood. From hearing the Dharma all the way to seeing it, you will still have suffering and you won't be free of unsatisfactory experiences until you are the Dharma. Until you are Dharma, your happiness still depends on external factors. You lean on them. You lean on pleasure, on reputation, on wealth, on material things. You may have all sorts of knowledge, But this knowledge is tainted by worldliness and cannot release you from suffering. You are still like a bird in a cage. Being Dharma.
in this time together we'll be understanding the Dharma, practicing the Dharma, seeing the Dharma, little by little, bathing in, immersing ourselves in, welcoming this mystery of our life, our world, into this refuge of awareness. To encourage ourselves in this time together to be patient with and kind. It's a gradual process. The Buddha likened this, you've heard us many times, likened this, this, this awakening to like walking into the sea. It's a gradual distance before there's a drop off. Right compared to the walking into the mist. If someone asks you, at what point did you become wet? You ain't really say. It's little by little the mist penetrates, permeates our clothing. So it's a gradual practice, patient, steady practice. Mixed. I want to lay that out, but also to remember is very important. The realization of Dharma is gradual, but the nature, the peacefulness, the home, our home, our true home, is not somewhere out there in the future. It's always here and now. Sometimes we have to be patient with the falling away of tendencies that confuse us. But again and again, the Buddha reminded reminded us our heart is luminous, it is what he called the original brightness, it is stainless, spotless, timeless. So to remember right from the beginning, it's not that we're trying to get somewhere. It's quite important. It's a very important part of understanding the Dharma, having the right cognitive frame. It's not the end, but it's very important. Without the right cognitive frame, <coughs> we're like, as they say, someone who energetically polishing that brick. Don't, don't disturb me. What are you doing? I'm busy. What are you doing? I'm going to make the most magnificent mirror. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Polishing that brick, <laughs> you don't get a mirror. Or as the Buddha once <coughs> said, cooking sand, you don't get a savory meal. When we so energetically try to squeeze our experience, make our experience of sights and sounds and smells and tastes and sensations and thoughts and images, when we're trying to squeeze and make those become the timeless, everlasting, radiant, peaceful, 
He's polishing a brick, trying to get a mirror. So part of understanding the Dharma, it's not squeezing, making conditions what they can't be, but by blessing. This practice is an awakening. It's an illumining, illuminating. <clears throat> Allowing ourselves to little by little abandon biases, assumptions, and be in touch with how things actually are so that we then begin to appreciate the, the stormy weather, the calm weather, the bright, hot, sweltering days, cooling. Refreshing, evening, rain, night. The sounds that hurt and are just too much and noticing them shift, dissolve, soft, subtle sounds. The in-breath, the out-breath. Beginning to get a feeling for the nature of conditions. They come and go. The sweet ones come and go. The harsh ones come and go. The exciting ones come and go. The dreadful, I can take another second ones, come and go. Getting a feeling for the ground. What remains the heart that is easy to overlook. So it sounds like a paradox. This gradual from understanding, practicing, seeing, being Dharma. This gradual seems like a paradox, but at the same time remembering it rather than getting there it would perhaps be more accurate to talk about a striving, an effort, a, pra- a path activity that we're making which is more and more allowing us, encouraging us, inviting us to be more and more fully here. It's an important part of understanding the Dharma. So in the course of our time together, to honor all the experiences, and even we're not going to be masochists, yes, suffering is a noble truth. And as the retreat goes on, we will, at times, honor the suffering, remembering that that which is difficult to be with is a portal, is a gateway to transformation. Yes, remembering even that rather than so quickly assuming that suffering is something we've got to get away from, 
to remember that even the core of vimuttisarasa-vedamma, as the Buddha said, even the core, the essence, the true nature of that experience, which is not easy to be with, is blessed, it's sacred, it's free, free of bondage. If we learn more and more how to be with that experience honestly, clearly, patiently. So let's be careful not just to judge things, oh, it's a failure, it's not going well. But we're, 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 also, we're not being masochistic. The first part of this, this retreat, though, is, uh, is a, we're going to be the first part in, a, in an underlying theme throughout the whole retreat is to follow the guideline of the Buddha around embodiment. <coughs> Rather than thinking, you know, Nibbana and the, the timeless original brightness that Kitty saw, the Buddha is talking about is somehow up and out there somewhere. He encouraged a, a foundation in mindfulness of the body and in the, in the practices of mindfulness and what's called samadhi, the unification of the dimensions of our being, of body, mind, and heart. We're going to be, be practicing uh, learning how to, as well as we can, access an ease here and now, a wellness here and now. Through our meditative work, also through our help, we're very fortunate to have Jennifer here to help us with this process with the yoga practice that we'll be doing every day. So to, uh, yes, if uh, suffering comes, we will work with it. But sometimes we suffer unnecessarily. Sometimes we're just unskillfully kind of generating a lot of excess stress. And the, the Buddha taught samadhi. He taught a unified healing principle of gathering our body, speech, and mind together. Learning how to be here with stepping, walking, breathing, sitting, moving. Of learning how what the Buddha described as a pleasant abiding, how to cultivate a beautiful, pleasant way of being here now that doesn't harm anyone. It doesn't exploit anyone. It doesn't depend on grabbing hold of something out there that wells up from learning how to, rather than reaching too far into the future, recoiling into the past, learning to use our mind to be very humble, to just say here, to moderate thought, to bring us back to this moment. Let the mind bring us back to the body. How is it now as I sit, or walk, or stand, or move, or stretch? And the awareness receives that. So the body, thinking mind, and awareness are right here, together. 
That's a healing practice, a blessing practice. So we'll be focusing, developing skill in that. And that's also then the fun, not only, just relatively speaking, being kind and patient, and there'll be times when we don't feel good, and we'll patiently work with that. But skill at that is not only a blessing for us in our life, a a capacity to restore ourselves, but it is our offering to this earth. We're just chewing up all the resources, more than Mother Earth can provide destroying things, the more we as living beings learn how to appreciate simple things. We bless our own life, we bless our earth, our environment, our community, our world. And it's also a platform that composure then can be used for our deepening of our wisdom and understanding and liberating ourselves. So the first 10 days of our, of our retreat will be pretty much classical samatha vipassana, calming, investigating, and then turning the mind to this peaceful, here and now, ever-present suchness. And also being interested in what pulls us out what tangles us up, blessing that, gathering that into our contemplation. Then we'll have a period of this uh, retreat where we'll be, uh, uh, say a five-day period, we're going to be doing a a practice around just, rather than thinking about the 10,000 things, bring our mind back to one thought, the thought of the great being of compassion, Kuan Yin, who listens at ease to the sounds of the world. Just keep bringing that thought back. One thought. Contemplating the great Bodhisattva, the merciful one, and the source of that, all wisdom and compassion, which we'll be reflecting on throughout this retreat, is this ground of listening, ground of awareness what we're calling the refuge, the buddhic refuge. In the next five uh, days of the retreat, there will be uh, a moving to the core of uh, Kuan Yin's practice. Kuan Yin is the archetype of wisdom and compassion. On the one side, she's the merciful one. This energy of deep listening responds to prayers, heals, blesses ourselves in the world. The merciful response to the forms. And then the, this uh, last uh, five-day period is looking to the core of all that power, blessing power, is turning the mind to emptiness, to the deathless. Contemplation of the Heart Sutra, contemplation of what's called the Sharanga Masamati. So be, it might sound, just to lay out the, the frame a little bit, you know, classical 10-day period of touching 
calming inside. Seasoned with quite a bit of patience and kindness for ourselves and each other. A devotional practice. A bare bone turning the mind to that which never moves, what's called chan, the essence of Kuan Yin or for practice. And then some time to, to integrate it. These might sound all like different practices, but really it's all just developing the yoga of the mind, the yoga, the agility to, to realize this mind, this awareness can focus. This awareness can welcome. This awareness can notice and penetrate and feel in distress and little by little shed that and develop steadiness. This awareness can inquire. This awareness can relinquish and let go and feel into the essence. So it's all the, it's all if you boil it all up, it comes back down to the training of awareness for this retreat. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.